Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. In this episode, you'll hear part two of my conversation with social worker and University of Alaska Anchorage alumna, Eva Gregg. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. In our previous episode, we introduced social worker and University of Alaska Anchorage alumna, Eva Gregg. As we left off, Eva was sharing the deeply moving and personal journey that she has confronted head-on and documented in her UAA ePortfolio. As you were talking, I was remembering something that you said earlier in the conversation um, about how growing up in the 80s and 90s that it wasn't um, a cool thing. You didn't feel like it was a cool thing to be a a person of color. and. through this journey that's clearly changed. And um, I know from speaking to you before and and seeing your portfolio and hearing you speak that um, that connection to your culture and um, your community and has become something that you've embraced. And one of the ways that you've done that is through dance. Um, and, uh, and another way I think that you have done that is by speaking about this story that you have, um, have you, so initially you were talking about how, um, some people's opinions were airing your dirty laundry, but what does it feel like for you personally when you are able to share and how is that, um, maybe changed you over time as well? So sharing my story and, and what what happened to me and what happened to my family, um, like I said, some people call it airing your dirty laundry. And for me, it's been healing um, because I'm not harboring secrets, secrets that weren't, weren't mine to carry and harbor and hide from the world, you know, and at my, at, at my age, when it happened, um, under the threat of don't tell anybody or, um, was really scary. So I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want this person to hurt my mom. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, or my younger sister for that matter. So, um, you know, there's some things that, that are so dark and scary that I only share those really intimate details with very trusted, trusted individuals who have over the last 11 years proven that trust is there. Um, but before it was like word vomit, I'd tell anybody anything, um, <laughs> you know, and that's because I needed to get out all that negativity, right? And I had no filter and you had to know, um, but now it's, I'm more selective with who I share um, the more intimate details of my life with. 
um, for instance, I, I brought up my son a couple of times and, um, he was murdered December 2nd of, uh, December 2nd of 2018, and I'm in my final year of my program at UAA, and finals just started, and so, um, I seriously, at the time when, when it was happening, like, I'm just gonna drop out, and, and grieve and not finish, and my now 18-year-old, she was 16 then, she told me, you can't give up, Mom. Dylan would be so mad at you. So that was part of my story, part of my educational journey, too. Is, And I was really angry about that, about academia, the world of academia and deadlines. And <clears throat> um, it was either finish or wait another year. And pay, and pay back the money that I had spent for that semester. And there's, you know, at that time, there was no other option but to finish. And so, um, that semester, I had four classes, and I, uh, two of them were group presentations at the end of the semester that I couldn't get out of. And the other two were like, just do what you can. So I was given extension for all classes, but the one, the two classes I had to show up for, for the group presentations for finals, right? And then do the homework in between the two semesters for, for the other two classes. And uh, as a grieving mom, it, what I did was I shut off all my feelings. I shut my phone off. And um, for a month and a half, for almost two months, I handed out these two papers, like through tears and sobbing and trying to do self-care while I was grieving, you know. And, um, and I had to have it done before the beginning of the next semester, the last semester. And I, like, two days before the deadline, I turned all that in. And, and I ended up with a 4.0 grade point average that semester. Eva, my goodness. Um, that is just remarkable. But I was bound to determined. <laughs> I was bound. Clearly, because how would it have been possible otherwise? I shut everything right. off, you all did. my feelings, all my thoughts. I put it in a little box, and I buried deep within myself, kind of like when I was alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that parallel there, right? Um, and then Wait, ways that we cope, right? Right, and then um, so I had two days before the deadline, I turned everything in, and then like a week later was the beginning of the next semester and still that continued that shutting down um, 
so I could function, which is kind of an oxymoron in a way, right? Um, so I was also doing a practicum in that last year um, for my social work degree. So I graduated, um, and I sl- and then I slept for about two weeks. I imagine emotionally and mentally exhausted, spiritually, and physically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I graduated. And I slept for two weeks, and then I decided, well, I need, you know, I have a degree, and I got this degree so I could help people, yada, 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 now what? (laughs) Oh, I should get a job. (laughs) (laughs) So I started applying for jobs, and I was really stressing about it. And then one day, I just decided, I'm not going to stress about it. When I wake up in the morning, and my ancestors tell me to get on their website, Get on the computer and get on a certain website and apply for a job. That's what I'll do. So one morning I wake up. My ancestors tell me, get on Real Cap's website and apply for the first job you see online. So I did that. And it was a housing specialist case manager position. And I applied for it. And I threw my hat in. And then I scrolled some more and I applied for this job that I have been in since September of last year, um, 2019. So, you know, I had a couple of interviews before that, and it was always, remember earlier I said I could get a job, but I couldn't keep the job, so Mm -hmm. I had no experience as a social worker. And so everywhere I applied for, well, you have the education, but where's your experience? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we can, well... You lack the experience, therefore you're not qualified, right? So go kick rocks, right, basically. And so each time that happened, I would feel a little bit more defeated. I'm never going to get a job with no experience. It's not just going to happen. Everyone wants experience. And so I went to this interview and... From the last interview to this one, I was like, how do I turn that around? i got to figure this out because I know I can use it to my advantage somehow. Right? So here's what I told them. I have the education. I don't have the experience. But that lack of experience means you get to train me exactly the way you need to train me to do this job without having to untrain me from previous <laughs> jobs before and I'm not bringing in all you know policies and procedures and this is how we did it at yeah. wherever right so mm-hmm. um, that's how I spun that around this time Um, and so I got hired and when I was talking with my sponsor, my sponsor, I'm sponsor, my supervisor about, Mm -hmm. um, we were reminiscing about the interview days and I was like, um, (laughs) you know, I just wanted to 
say thank you for sticking your neck out for me, for hiring me without the experience. You know, and she's like, you know, Eva, I did interview other people who had way more social work experience than you did. Um, but here is why I chose you. We chose you is because you have the the compassion and passion to actually do the work, right? I could I could train you and give you the skills to do the job, but I can't train someone to have the passion and compassion to do the job as well as you could do because you have that innately in it's ingrained in you <clears throat> and so I'm really thankful for my supervisor um, for pointing that out like I think society as a whole forgets that we are inherently skilled to do some things better than other people, right? Um, and, and and I think we tie up a lot of worth and self-identity into that kind of role that, that society expects us to step into, mm -hmm. right? So um, on, in my portfolio, like, I have several roles, to my identity. Of course. Right? I'm a mom. I'm a daughter. I'm a granddaughter. I'm an aunt. You know, I'm a niece. I, uh, I'm a single parent. And I have been for the most of my life. Right? Um, and part of my family life is that my mom is our matriarch right she's the boss of all bosses um, she trumps everybody when my mom says jump high, jump I say how high and how long do you want me to stay in the air <laughs> um, the CEO of uh, any company tell me to jump in I'd be like mm, <laughs> probably not next bringing this journey to present day Eva discusses her personal connection to her heritage as an Alaska native. She dives into a balance between coming to terms with her personal trauma, indeed also generational trauma, while identifying with her traditional Western education, and then coming full circle to reconnect with her identity as an Alaska native. So, you know, those part of the e-portfolio, the native identity culture um, experience um, when I was writing my stories, you know, bits and pieces of it that I shared on there, it really made me look at who I am and who I come from and, and who I want to be, right? Like I didn't have that skill set when I was drinking or drinking. I didn't have that skill set when I was a teenager. I didn't have that skill set when I was in sixth grade, you know? Um, it just was not a part of me yet. Um, or the awareness of those roles were not a part of me yet. Um, they had always been there. I just hadn't explored them in depth. And so there's a lot of conflicting um, 
identities within me. Um, for instance, I have a Western education. That means um, I have a tool, you know, a piece of paper with my name on it, some acronyms behind it that most people my age who come from where I come from don't have that. Um, but they have other things, right? They have other things that I don't have. They, they can speak, think, and process all their thoughts and feelings in Inupac, whereas I do that in English, right? Um, my grandmothers were very skilled skin sewers. I can skin sew, but I don't have the skill and the expertise that they did. Um, so, you know, there's pros and cons each way. But personally, I feel like although my, my hair is black and my eyes are black and my skin is dark and I look Alaskan Native, my sometimes I de I don't identify as Alaska Native as strange as that sounds because um, I'm so disenfranchised from my own culture at times like I feel more white than Native. Um, so what are and I understand the this I understand um, Western society systems more than I understand my own. Yeah. So what are some ways that you try to reconnect with that part of your identity? Uh, or build that part of your identity? First of all, I had to learn to forgive myself for being not as good of a native as I think I should be. Um, and then I found a dance group. I found... Anchorage Northern Lights dancers. Um, so, a friend of mine had put out a Facebook blast about needing an Inupac dance group. And she tagged like 149 of us or something. And a few of us responded and a few of us showed up and we formed a dance group. Um... And we had the dance group going for five years, four or five years. Um, it's not in existence anymore, but uh, I have since then joined another dance group. But COVID has hit, and so, you know, gathering and um, exercising and singing is a risk factor so we haven't been convening our together since it got cold we were practicing outside during the summer um, and the elders could handle that you know sitting outside in the warm sun but they, we're not going to subject that to them at 16 degrees so there's that um and the, the elders that you speak of, I had um, the 
incredible opportunity through our friend Paul Wasco to meet some of the elders. And that was a new experience for me. And um, I really, it was such an overwhelming presence just to be near them. And um, I just felt like everything they said, somehow they knew me, even though we had just met. I don't know if you've had a similar experience, but um, it was uh, it was an incredible time. Uh, so we revere our elders, and we revere them because if we go back three hundred years, four hundred years, and you lived to be an elder, people wanted to know how you survived that. You know, hunting back 300 years ago was dangerous. Berry picking 300 years ago, fishing, walking across the tundra was dangerous, right? And so the chances of living to become an elder were less. So those who made it to elders status, we revered them because they defied all the odds, right? And, And they also... Because they defied those odds, they actually had wisdom that we needed. We needed to hear their experiences so we could attempt to copy them. Yeah, survival. Yeah. And, you know, that was historically, right? Today in contemporary life, like, our elders live... To the age that they are because life is easier today, right? Like hunting is not so dangerous and you could get your meat at Fred Myers or Safeways or the Piggly Wiggly or wherever you are. <laughs> um, but they still have something we want from them. We want their time and we want to hear their their older raspy voices and feel the sand papery feelings of their wrinkled hands and and listen to what they have to say. I mean, we we crave it. Well, I think that might be a good place for us to end our conversation today. Um you know, your description of the elders. Um, I have to say, I, I feel like that may be you in the, in the future, um, because I certainly feel that when I'm with you and when I hear you speak. Um, so thank you so much again for your time today, Eva. Thanks for having me and spending time with me. It's so good to see you, Kelly. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Dylan James Gregg and Jolene Marie Gregg. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative ePortfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. 
This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Jessica Chittam. Thanks for listening.